air and light. Hello, my cubicle conscious, open space surveyors, corner office respirators, home den inhalers, and coffee shop ciders. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I am not the workplace hero. You see, the reason the website for this podcast is www.workplacehero.me and not.com is because this podcast is about making you into a workplace hero. And I want you to be reminded of that every time you visit the website, send me an email, or tell a friend about this podcast. And you will do that, right? Right? Before we dive in, I want to thank everyone who, at the time of this recording, has left a review on iTunes of this podcast. On the Canadian side, I want to thank Dean Dwyer, Ellie Town, M.I. Justin, C.A. Wood One, and Elliot on iTunes. And on the American side, I want to thank Alex Eric, T-Dubs530, Mar150, and Yukaserex. <laughs> From the bottom of my workplace casual heart, I thank you all for your support. And without sounding too needy, hopefully, if your name wasn't on that list that I just read, it would really help me out if you took a minute or two to give the podcast an iTunes boost. It's a small but meaningful way to show your support for the show. Just go to workplacehero.me slash iTunes and you'll be directed right there. Easy. Okay. On to the topic at hand. I was listening to a Scientific American podcast a while ago and was excited to hear that a new study, released in August 2016, had been done on how effective plants can be at clearing volatile organic compounds from the air. As someone who's worked in extremely tightly sealed office buildings for most of my life, I mean, you gotta keep the minus 30 degree Alberta air out somehow, I have often had a plant or two near my desk, but I was only going on a hope and a dream that they were actually providing any benefit beyond covering up some coffee stains or overzealous permanent marker maneuvers. The Scientific American podcast said, and I'm sure we all can agree, that air pollution outside is easy to spot, you know, hanging over the city or puffing out of an exhaust pipe. But there's a lot of indoor air pollution too, even if it's not as obvious. It's caused by volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. Vadud Neri, an analytical chemist at the State University of New York, Oswego, says that they can come from building materials like paints, carpets, adhesives, vinyl floors, varnishes, solvents, personal care products, cleaning chemicals, air fresheners, and even cosmetics. And that cosmetics part is what caught Neri's attention. One day, he went to the nail salon with his wife, and he noticed the smell of acetone. And since he was doing air analysis at the time, he thought he might be able to do something about this issue. Neary figured one friendly and efficient way to get rid of acetone might be with houseplants. So he reviewed decades of literature and ran his own experiment using an airtight chamber and eight VOCs in concentrations similar to those found in nail salons against five common houseplants, a jade plant, a spider plant, a bromeliad, a Caribbean tree cactus, and what's known as a Dracinia plant. It turns out, after a 12-hour test, it was the bromeliad that gobbled up the most chemicals from the air, and the Dracinia beat out the others, sucking up a whopping 94% of the acetone. 
He presented the results at a meeting of the American Chemical Society in Philadelphia with a paper titled Monitoring Volatile Organic Compound Removal by Common Indoor Plants Using Solid Phase Microextraction and Gas Chromatography Mass Spectrometry. You can search for that if you're interested in looking it up, but I'll read the abstract to you here. Air pollution is one of the most important environmental threats to the health of the residents of all communities and volatile organic compounds, VOCs, are among important air pollutants. These compounds are ubiquitous in the natural and industrialized world, but are found in the highest concentrations in indoor environments. Some of the chemicals belonging to this group are benign to human health, or even necessary for normal physiological function. However, a substantial portion of VOCs are detrimental to human health and effects ranging from dizziness and nausea to central nervous system damage, various forms of cancer, and even death. Because of the serious nature of VOCs as a health hazard, many remediation techniques are being developed. Phytoremediation, the use of plants to mitigate environmental pollution, offers one of the most practical solutions regarding cost and efficacy. Five common plants were selected for this study. Three treatment conditions were applied to each plant to isolate active VOC uptake mechanisms, covering the base of the plant in foil, no foil, and the use of light. Of the five plants, Guzmania lingulata showed the greatest overall VOC uptake in light treatment conditions, with more than 80% removal of six of the eight target VOC compounds. All tested plants showed less than 50% removal of dichloromethane or trichloromethane over the 12-hour sampling period. My office is now literally littered with plants. Some of the plants from the study to clean my air, and some that I just like looking at. Which in and of itself gives us some benefits as well. As the author of the study, Biophilia Does Visual Contact With Nature Impact On Health and Well-Being said, in a rather lackluster scientific way, quote, It seems worthwhile to encourage interaction with plants both outdoor and indoor, and this is likely to be a useful environmental initiative with a sound cost-benefit profile, end quote. Now, enter Dr. Tamsin Lewis, who asked me to tell you guys that she was fighting a cold during this interview, so please forgive her croakiness. I think that you know, this whole concept of indoor pollution is increasingly being recognized as, as, as a problem, you know, especially if there's, there's two things, the circulation of the air and then there's the air conditioning, which dries out the skin and the mucous membranes like the nose and the mouth. But, yeah, it, it, it's lack of airflow. It's lack of air quality in terms of, you know, the high content of perhaps even, you know, carbon dioxide, which can affect even how we how we breathe, for example. So there's lots of different parts there. It's, you know, ventilation and it's also whether, um, how strong any air conditioning would be in the office as well. Mm, cool. I'm Dr. Tam, I like to call myself, um, otherwise known as Sporty Doc with an IE, where you can find me on Twitter at Sporty Doc. I run a company called Curo7 in the UK, which is relaunching in, in a month as Fiber, F-I-B-R, Health. So essentially what I do is run a medical and wellness consultancy where we um, in a functional medicine model where we take people's information, data and make it meaningful and try and get people on a path towards better health and uh, longevity. My background is as a medical doctor generalist and then I went into psychiatry. Amongst that, 
I took time to become an elite triathlete. Kind of how that happened is a long story, but I took four years out and um, competed at the highest level in triathlon Ironman. Taught me a lot about resilience. It taught me a lot about physiology. Taught me a lot about psychology, interpersonal relationships, etc. So I've used all that experience um, in order to sort of change the way I approach my patient care today. Awesome. That was a that was an amazing list of things. I always forget how badass you are. I asked Tamsin to sum up the biggest health issues that she sees arising directly from our office jobs. So at the moment, we see a lot of people that have, well, I, I guess the, the main things that I see are chronic low energy. I see a lot of people with low libido. I see people with just can't stay awake in the afternoon. I have lots of sort of chronic mild pain issues, lower back pain, that sort of thing. On, on a separate point is a lot of mood and anxiety issues, which uh, are compounded by the day-to-day -day environment of which most people, uh, well, a lot of people have to be in an office environment, spend a lot of time there. So definitely like to address some of the issues that's, that, that come up um, on a day-to-day -day basis in their own environment in the office. And most of the things on that list didn't surprise me, but you mentioned libido. That's something I don't think most people connect with their office job. No, it's true. I mean, it's, it's complicated because it depends on, you know, the relationships with the people you have and your team environment. But um, it, certainly libido comes into it probably because of the sitting position. When people sit, they normally scrunch over slightly. They compress their um, <laughs> certain uh, genital regions. They <laughs> change course. the temperature in the genital regions. And that all indirectly can impact, uh, well, the sex organs, essentially. Uh, so, yes, that is one aspect. The other aspect is related to the diurnal variation in uh, light exposure in an office. And we know that light exposure can affect testosterone production. So getting that bright light in, in, in the morning is very important for um, telling the brain to connect to the testes and produce healthy amounts of testosterone. So often when people aren't getting that blue light exposure from a natural source or even from an unnatural source like a light box then then testosterone production can um can go down in susceptible individuals this isn't is not saying that it happens to everyone but it certainly can come up as an issue i'm so happy that tamsin brought up light which i plan to tackle in a full future episode but let's take a quick closer look at it while we're here anyway there is a recent, at the time of this recording anyway, New York Times article called Light Bulbs That Help You Sleep by Rhonda Kaysen that sums up the issues quite nicely. It says that light interferes with our circadian rhythm, the internal clock that tells our bodies when to sleep, when to wake up, and when to eat. If you stare at a bright bluish light, like the one from your smartphone, tablet, or television, your body sends a signal to your brain to stop producing melatonin, a powerful hormone that helps you fall asleep. Disruptions to our circadian rhythm can affect weight loss, libido, mood, and sleep patterns, and chronic sleep deprivation can increase the risk of cardiovascular disease and even certain cancers. That blue glare is not limited to our electronics either. LED light bulbs used in desk lamps and ceiling fixtures also emanate blue light, even if it appears to you as white. It doesn't take a scientist to notice that an incandescent bulb feels soothing, like the light from a candle or a campfire. 
while LED lights often feel like you're staring at a frickin' blowtorch. Dr. Tam and I talked about how light is often chosen based on its low price, not its high human compatibility. Correct. And um, we see a lot of strip lighting, for example, which is just terrible for the brain um, in general. But people don't think about it, do they? I mean, it, it, it's, it's only once you've been out of that environment and you're immersed in the kind of world that we're immersed in, in wellness and biohacking, that you you start to look at things a bit closely more closely and start to realize that they do impact your health and and how you feel on a on an hour to hour basis what not without getting too deep into into lights and and wavelengths and all that kind of stuff what is the issue with those sort of cheaper strip lighting is it the the flickering is it the color intensity the what is it about those lights that really is doing the damage i think uh, both of the things that you mentioned i think that the fact that they are uh, our bodies aren't meant to be exposed to that light intensity for that long periods of time um it might be that a short amount in the morning of that blue light is is good but as you say that that it isn't all of the right wavelength and also you know the, the fact that it's literally on all day there's no variation in the lighting at all so all of the above that, that like i said there's no change in that in, in that lighting quality at all so that's definitely one aspect. So I'd like to see, and, and the fact that, that people are in that environment for so long, and often that's the only light they see, you know, especially in the winter months. So as opposed to the sun moving across the sky, we're and changing color, changing position, and all that kind of stuff, we're sitting static under, um, under these lights that aren't moving, aren't changing, aren't varying. Interesting. And also, obviously, you've got the impact of, of the computer light, um, which is a well-researched effects on on circadian rhythm and, and secretion of different hormones that are that are light dependent. So I bet you can guess what your homework is going to be, but I won't get ahead of myself. One potential solution seems to be to replace, as they say in the New York Times article, the blowtorch with the campfire, especially after sundown. As technology for LED lights improves, companies are making more dynamic lighting that adjusts as you go through the day. Last spring, Apple introduced the night shift function in iOS so users can reduce the amount of blue light emitting from their iPad and iPhone screens. A company called Lighting Science has produced a line of what they call biological bulbs that give off light meant to work in sync with your circadian rhythm instead of disrupting it. Philips has started a line of smart bulbs called Hue, with pre-programmed settings that can transform light in a room from warm reddish glow to a cool aqua blue one. And this is a cool feature. You can program it to slowly turn the lights on in the bedroom to wake you up in the morning. Which doesn't help if you're like me and sometimes sleep with a Zorro-like mask on. Rhonda concluded her New York Times article with this. With a few bulbs, I transformed the bedrooms in my home into warm, cozy cocoons of glowing yellow light. Although the mood has done nothing to convince the children that their beds are not trampolines, they do seem to drift off to sleep a bit faster. As for me, no amount of soothing light in the bedroom helps if I'm binge-watching The Affair all night in the living room. But at least it's a start. And that has been my experience as well. 
I diligently wear my blue blocking glasses, I have a blue blocking screen protector on my iPad, and I always have the night shift feature on in iOS, but my solid night sleep is still offset 50-50 by a crappy night's sleep. But much like taking a multivitamin, it's gotta be helping, right? Back to Dr. Tam. Okay, so we've listed lighting and air quality, which are definitely things that people don't feel like they have a lot of control over, but I feel like you've probably got some solutions for us as to what we can do to minimize the damage from both of those things. Yeah, I encourage people to have, um, as, as I've mentioned, a sort of circadian, improve their circadian exposure to light. So we encourage people to have a light box on their desk, which they use in the morning, which emits blue light, and to use that for at least 20 minutes. Um, we then encourage people to get out into natural light at lunchtime, if that's at all possible, to walk around any green space, um, to take some deep breaths, which uh, will tie into the air quality. I also encourage people to to install the software in their on their computer or to wear blue light blocking glasses as the as the day progresses. So any time after 4 p.m., I wouldn't encourage it any earlier than that because it can make you sleepy. The computer software that you can get, I know we use F.Lux, um, which takes up blue light from the screen. Those are a, a few things. I also have people use little mini ionizers, which improve the local air quality environment around you that you can get on Amazon, you know, little sort of ionizer boxes. Um, you could encourage your boss to get a larger unit that ionizes and improves the air, HEPA air filters, for example. But that's a, a separate question. Um, so yes, those are those are main the, the, the main things that we would do. How about plants? Would you would you encourage people to put plants around their their desk? Does that have an effect on on the air quality? It certainly does, but um, it's whether you're allowed to, and that's what we come up with. A lot of people they they aren't actually allowed to use or have plants in the office for you know quote hashtag <laughs> health and safety reasons. Um, <laughs> which is nonsense really but by all means if you're allowed to have a plant do do definitely get a plant now normally this is where i would give you your homework assignment but instead i asked tamsin if she could get you workplace heroes to implement one thing into your workspace right away what would it be the the least expensive option would be to have the mini ionizer air box on their on their desk the second one would be to have a stool like the Sally stool, whereby everything you do at the desk um, in the in the position encouraged by Sally, that's S-A-L-L-I, and I have no uh, affiliate relationship with them. I have just used it and find um, it improves people's health generally on a data basis. So, yeah, that would be the main one I would, I, I would uh, advocate, changing your seating position and really encouraging you to think about your posture in front of your desk. So there you have it. We have another expert vote for minimizing our habitual sitting in a static position at our desks. We may feel like the air and light around us are out of our control and that we are at the mercy of our building superintendents, but that's not entirely true. With an air filter, some plants, some carefully chosen light bulbs, and maybe a funky pair of yellow glasses, we can become the hero over our own invisible pollutants. My city's covered in rain again. Workplace Hero is researched, written, narrated, and recorded by me, Brock Armstrong, with editing help and occasional voice acting from Eleanor Cohen. 
podcast logo by Ken Cunningham, and music by my old band, The Irregular Heartbeats. Today's guest hero is Dr. Tamsin Lewis. You can find her on Twitter as at SportyDoc, that's with an I-E, or you can go to Curo7.com, C-U-R-O-S-E-V-E-N.com. Today's heroic idea came from the New York Times article, Light Bulbs That Help You Sleep by Rhonda Kaysen and Scientific American's podcast, A Green Solution to Improve Indoor Air Quality by Christopher Intagliata. You can find a transcript of today's podcast at www.workplacehero.me slash air and light. Now, go make this week count. <laughs>